New Stories, Bold Legends, Stories from Sydney Lunar Festival is a podcast about Australians who celebrate Lunar New Year. This is Season 2. In Season 1, we introduced you to a range of successful contemporary Australians, from artists to brain surgeons, fashion designers to board directors. This season, we're going to step back in time and talk about how the diverse cultural communities and their people have helped shape Australia. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm the City of Sydney's curator of the Sydney Lunar Festival. I'm also an artist, printmaker and CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre. In this series, I explore the stories and history of people who melded their cultural traditions with this sunburnt country we call home. The Sydney Lunar Festival is one of the biggest events held each year in the city of Sydney. In fact, it's the biggest celebration of Lunar New Year outside of mainland China. In 2019, more than 1.5 million people attended events across the city and immersed themselves in the festivities, exhibitions, talks, performances and so much more. Not bad for a festival which started as a community event two decades ago. The Sydney Lunar Festival has been getting bigger and better since then and is now one of the biggest festivals in Australia. But we know from newspaper reports that even before then, Chinese communities were celebrating New Year from as early as 1836. For many years, the festival in Sydney was known as the Chinese New Year Festival. The name evolved to the Sydney Lunar Festival to reflect the fact that members of the Vietnamese, Korean, Thai, Indonesian, Japanese, Malaysian, Cambodian, Filipino and other communities also celebrate Lunar New Year. And of course, with a great lineup of amazing events, people who aren't of Asian backgrounds also turn out to celebrate. This year, visitors will be able to enjoy Japanese hip-hop and Korean drumming, as well as the usual fabulous traditional Chinese events. This season, we've been looking at some prominent Chinese personalities from Sydney's history. As we've learned, there's been a small but strong Chinese presence in Australia right from the start of colonisation. But what about other Asian communities? Walk down any main street in Sydney and you'll find restaurants serving Thai food, Malaysian dishes and Vietnamese delicacies. Census data shows that about 16% of Australia's population has Asian heritage. Asian Australians are an essential part of Sydney's multicultural makeup. However, many of these cultures are newer to Australia than the Chinese and European communities. Although there certainly would have been Indonesian and Malaysian sailors arriving in Sydney's docks throughout the city's history, these cultures didn't set up significant populations until the 20th century. For example, before 1975, there were fewer than 2,000 Vietnamese in the whole country. Part of the reason for that is the White Australia policy, which for almost a century made it very difficult for anyone who wasn't European to emigrate to Australia. The post-war years focused on bringing migrants from Europe, so there were no incentives for Asians to come here. The exception to this was the Colombo Plan. This was an initiative that was launched in 1951 with the aim of providing higher education to students from Southeast Asia. The idea was to create an educated class who could return to their home countries with Australian values of democracy and the skills to help build and improve infrastructure in the Southeast Asian region. 
Australia's immigration policies changed with the lifting of restrictions in the 1970s. This also coincided with drastic changes in parts of Southeast Asia, like the Vietnam War, the overthrow of the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia, and the start of martial law in the Philippines. All of this combined to make Australia an attractive place for refugees and people in search of a better life. Migration from Asia to Australia since the 1970s has steadily increased. Of the 26% of Australians who were born overseas, about 40% were born in Asia. In the Chinese zodiac, 2020 is the year of the rat. The rat is usually the first sign of the lunar zodiac and heralds the start of the 12-year lunar calendar cycle. So I thought it would be a perfect opportunity to explore 12 other Asian communities which make Sydney special. So let's talk about Vietnam. The history of Vietnamese people in Sydney really starts when the North Vietnamese Communist government took over South Vietnam in 1975. Like many other countries, Australia agreed to resettle Vietnamese refugees. Over the course of the next decade, around 90,000 refugees were processed in Australia, most of them settling in Sydney. Today, almost 300,000 people living in Australia have Vietnamese ancestry, and Sydney is home to around 105,000. The Vietnamese were the first large group of migrants to come to Australia after the end of the White Australia policy. Prior to that, there were around 500 Vietnamese people settled in Australia, mostly having come here as students through the Colombo Plan. One of these was Dr Nan, now president of the Vietnam Foundation. He arrived in 1967 as a student and he and his fellow students would sometimes meet up with the Vietnamese women who would come to Australia as war brides. In an email, Dr Nan recalled those early years to us. He said, We organised social and sporting events for ourselves and Australian friends. Every now and then we had Vietnamese nights to raise funds for charity in Vietnam, such as working with a Rotary Club in Sydney or an orphanage in Vietnam. We still keep photo albums of our activities then. That was from Dr Nan. Dr Nan was doing his PhD at the University of New South Wales when hostilities broke out back home and the Australian government allowed him to stay here. Because of the war, he was rendered stateless and was later granted Australian citizenship. Although the Vietnamese migrants were initially welcomed, they faced a lot of racism in those early years. They established communities in Sydney's western suburbs, especially Cabramatta, Fairfield and Bankstown, and in Marrickville in the inner west. There were fears that these suburbs were becoming Vietnamese ghettos. The reality is that migrants frequently settle in narrow geographic locations so they can be close to family and friends. The same is true of the Chinese, the Italians, the Greeks, or migrant groups. Many of the Vietnamese refugees who settled in Australia worked in garment making and auto manufacturing. Now the second and third generations work across every industry, from Vietnamese bakeries and restaurants to accountants, lawyers, teachers, actors, mechanics, everything. They are the sixth largest overseas-born population in Australia, and Nguyen is the 13th most popular surname in the country. Some well-known Vietnamese Australians are comedian An Do, radio presenter Caroline Tran, author Nam Lee, restaurateur and TV presenter Luke Nguyen, and governor of South Australia, Hugh Van Lee. Like the Chinese, Vietnamese people celebrate New Year according to the lunar calendar. So, late January to early February. It's called Tut. On the first day of Tut, 
Children wear their newest clothes and receive red envelopes of money from their elders. It's very much a family occasion, with everyone sitting down to traditional dishes. One of these is bun chung, a square rice and pork cake which needs to be boiled for 14 hours. All of the cooking is done before the new year because tert is a time for relaxing and spending time with family. The hard work, the cooking, the cleaning, the shopping and preparing is packed into the weeks before the new year. Very, very similar to Chinese customs. But how about the history of the Japanese culture in Australia? The very first known Japanese migrant to Australia was an acrobat named Mr. Sakuragawa Rikinosuke, who settled in Queensland in 1871. Throughout the late 1800s and early 1900s, Australia's small Japanese population was mostly involved with pearling and the sugarcane industry in northern Queensland, and there was even a Japanese consulate in Townsville. During World War II, 4,301 civilians, almost the entire Japanese population of Australia, as well as Japanese from Dutch East Indies, New Caledonia, Vanuatu and the Solomon Islands, were interned in POW camps, prisoner of war camps. Families were forced to abandon their lives, possessions, everything, and were moved from the far north of Australia to camps in rural New South Wales and Victoria. Most of them were later deported, even people who had called Australia home for more than 50 years. Only 74 Japanese citizens and their children were allowed to stay. Japanese were forbidden to come to Australia until 1949, and the population remained obviously fairly small in the decades following the end of the Second World War. About 500 war brides came during this time, but Japanese people didn't start migrating to Australia in significant numbers again until after 1981. Today, there are around 42,000 Japanese-born people in Australia and 65,000 people with Japanese ancestry. Some notable Japanese Australians are Chef Tetsuya Wakuda, former Australian rugby union coach Eddie Jones, fashion designer Akira Isagawa, and journalist and television presenter Kumi Taguchi. Since switching to the Gregorian calendar in 1873, Japanese people celebrate New Year on the 1st of January, just like in Australia. The New Year is called Shogatsu, and it's one of the most important holidays of the year. The old year is sent off with a bonankai, a year-forgetting party, which, as you can imagine, involves a lot of drinking. In the first few days of the New Year in January, they're a time of peace and relaxation with traditional foods called osechi arranged in beautiful bento boxes. Because you're not supposed to cook in the first few days of the year, these dishes are usually prepared beforehand and are supposed to last without needing refrigeration. So they tend to be things like pickled vegetables, sweet omelettes, fish soup and mochi. A really beautiful tradition is the sending of postcards or nengajo, which have to be received before January 3. Although Japanese celebrate the Gregorian New Year, they still often follow the Chinese zodiac, so they'll often decorate their postcards with the zodiac animal for the coming year, which in 2020 is the rat. Postcards can come pre-printed or people make their own, and around 3 billion are sent each year. Obviously, Chinese people in Japan celebrate Lunar New Year in Japan, and there's a popular lantern festival in Nagasaki, home to Japan's oldest Chinatown. There are also a few areas that mark the Lunar New Year, which is called Koshogatsu, or Little New Year. It's kind of a bountiful harvest day. But what about the Korean culture? 
The first Korean-born people who arrived in Australia were actually the children of Australian missionaries who came here in the 1920s for their education. There wasn't any significant population, however, until after the Korean War in 1953 when some women arrived as war brides and a few orphaned children were adopted. In 1971, there were only 468 Korean-born people registered in Australia. Significant numbers of Koreans didn't really start arriving until later in the 1970s. They generally came here as students, then found work and settled, and then sponsored their family members to join them. In 1979, the Australian Korean Welfare Association was established in Sydney to help Korean migrants to settle in their new home. One founding member of the Welfare Association was Keith Kyung-jai Lee, who is still an active member today. Keith received the Medal of the Order of Australia in 2011 for service to the Korean community. From the 1980s, Koreans were coming either as students or as skilled migrants. However, they weren't always able to find suitable jobs or start businesses. Without excellent English, a lot of migrants wound up in manual labour, although now second and third generation Korean Australians tend to gravitate towards professional careers. There are now 99,000 Korean-born people in Australia and a total of 123,000 with Korean ancestry. The Korean Society of Sydney, an organisation in Campsie, is the largest of its kind in the Southern Hemisphere and was established as early as 1968. Some notable Korean Australians you might have heard of are television presenter Yvette King, singer Dami Im and Aussie Rules footballer Peter Bell. Lunar New Year is a very important holiday for Koreans. Known as Solal, it's a three-day event with a strong focus on family and ancestors. They start off with a deep ceremonial bow called Seibai to their elders, especially children to adults. The kids then get gifts of money, in envelopes of course, and maybe some words of wisdom. Now let's talk about Singapore. One of the smallest populations of Asian Australians are from Singapore, with 55,000 of them calling Australia home. Among them are model Jessica Gomez, whose mother is Chinese Singaporean, and MasterChef winner Sashi Chelia. And yours truly. I was born in Singapore. Singapore consists of people from all origins and cultures, but predominantly Chinese, Malay and Indian. With a significant Chinese population, Lunar New Year is huge in Singapore. There's an extended public holiday, many businesses shut down, and families get together to Lohe, where you toss a fish salad as the first course in a big banquet. A major part of the celebrations is the Chingay Parade, a colourful procession of gods and goddesses that takes place eight days after the New Year. The Chingay Parade is also part of Malaysia's New Year festivities. So that brings us to Malaysia. Like other Southeast Asian people, the early Malaysian migrants worked in agriculture and pearling in Queensland. However, the very first Malaysian to arrive in Australia may have been a 22-year-old convict named Ajup in 1837. In the 1901 census, there were 932 Malay-born people in Australia. Under the Colombo Plan, a significant number of Malaysians came here, settling down and getting married. The number of Malaysians moving to Australia increased after the 1970s, and they're now around 140,000 living across the country. Some prominent Australians with heritage from Malaysia are singer Guy Sebastian, YouTube maths teacher Eddie Wu, 
MasterChef winner Diana Chan, singer Kamal, Senator Penny Wong and Chef Adam Liu. Similar to Singapore, Malaysia is a melting pot of cultures, particularly with Chinese, Malay and Indian communities. Lunar New Year is celebrated across the country and the first two days are the most important, with families gathering for reunion dinners. It's most auspicious to eat at a round table. Unmarried relatives are given envelopes with cash and of course there are lots and lots of fireworks. The last day, the 15th day of the festival, is recognised in both Singapore and Malaysia and doubles as both a lantern festival and a kind of Valentine's Day. Basically, all the single ladies write their name and phone number on a mandarin or orange and chuck it in the sea. Mr Wright is supposed to come along and find it and voila, a match made in heaven. Let's move on to the Philippines. The relaxing of immigration restrictions in the 1970s coincided with the start of martial law in the Philippines, leading to a rise in the number of Filipinos coming to Australia. With around 300,000 Australians with Filipino ancestry, they are the second largest group of Asian Australians after Chinese and are one of the fastest growing overseas-born populations in the country. Some Australians with Filipino heritage are Kate Sobrano, the singer, musician Mojo Juju, actor Bob Morley and Katrina Gray, the 2018 Miss Universe. Filipinos love a party, so it's no surprise that they celebrate New Year on January 1st and some also celebrate Lunar New Year. They have some interesting traditions like wearing polka dots for good luck, while kids are encouraged to jump as high as they can at midnight. Filipinos have also inherited some traditions from the Chinese, well, especially the Chinese Filipinos, like using fireworks to scare away bad luck, decorating their homes with at least 12 round fruits and eating long noodles for long life. The Philippines itself has a strong Chinese community, so obviously the Lunar New Year is important for them. But non-Chinese Filipinos also celebrate eating tikoi, glutinous rice cakes, wearing red and giving envelopes of money. Now, let's move on to Indonesia. Indonesians have been visiting Australia since long before European colonisation, collecting sea cucumbers off the north coast. Again, some arrived under the Colombo plan, but they only started settling here in growing numbers in the 1970s. They're a diverse group with some being Dutch Indonesian as well, and some are Chinese Indonesian. There are now about 73,000 Indonesian-born residents in Australia and another 40,000 who have Indonesian ancestry. One well-known singer with Indonesian heritage is Jessica Malboy, whose father is Indonesian. Because Indonesia is such a culturally diverse country, there are actually four different New Year celebrations, starting with 1 January, then Chinese New Year called Imlek, then there's also the Balinese New Year in March and Islamic New Year in August-September. Back in 1967, under President Suharto, it was actually forbidden to celebrate Chinese New Year in Indonesia, except in temples and private homes. This was Suharto's attempt to assimilate Chinese Indonesians. However, the ban was lifted in 2001 and it has been a national holiday since 2003. As well as spending time with family, wearing red for luck and exchanging envelopes of money called ang bao, Chinese Indonesians will eat basket cakes made from rice and sugar. Depending on where their ancestors originally came from, they will have different traditional foods, but dumplings are common and a tray of sweets is a must. 
Guests are served quail apis, a layered rice cake of alternating colours, which is very yummy. And how about Hong Kong? Hong Kong is a tricky one because it's not technically a country, but there are 90,000 people who were born in Hong Kong now living in Australia. And some who have a heritage in Hong Kong include Paralympian Lindy Howe, World Championship swimmer Kenneth Toe, and Federal MP Gladys Liu. The number of Hong Kong-born people moving to Australia increased in the decade before the island was returned to Chinese rule in 1997. In fact, they were the largest group of skilled Asians migrating to Australia during that time. As part of China, naturally Hong Kong celebrates the Lunar New Year, and it's the biggest festival in the city. With a huge parade, lantern displays and fireworks, it's almost as good as Sydney's Lunar Festival. <laughs> almost. In Thailand, Cambodia, Laos and Nepal, the New Year is celebrated in April. They follow the Chinese zodiac animals, but the whole celebration is a little later and is actually based on a combined sun-moon calendar. So, Thailand. Thailand's history with Australia starts with racehorses. Yep, back in 1911, an envoy of the Thai royal family came to Australia to buy some horses. As far as migration goes, Thailand has historically been a receiver of displaced people and refugees. And like most other Asian populations, the number of Thais of Australia was very, very low until the lifting of the White Australia policy. As of the last census, there are 70,000 people with Thai heritage who live in Australia, including some famous ones like Olympic swimmer Jeff Hugel, cook and television presenter Marion Grasby, and musicians Jackie and Mahalia Barnes, better known as Jimmy's Kids. An interesting comparison, though, there are 20,000 Australians living in Thailand. The Thai New Year Festival is held every year for three days, starting on the 13th of April, and is called Songkran. Family and food are important, and people dress up in their most colourful clothes, but Songkran is probably best known for the water festival, where people splash water on each other and have huge water fights in the streets. Now, Cambodia. Cambodians started coming to Australia in the late 1970s, fleeing the turmoil of their own country following the rule and subsequent fall of the Khmer Rouge regime. Around 12,000 refugees were originally settled in Australia between 1975 and 1986, and more followed through some family reunification. Australia is now home to 45,000 people of Cambodian descent. About a third of Cambodian Australians are ethnically Chinese, and so they celebrate Lunar New Year and the Spring Festival. It's not technically a holiday in Cambodia, although it's one of the biggest celebrations of the year. Some people buy a special plant, which is supposed to bring good luck if its bright yellow flowers blossom on the first day of the Lunar New Year. The actual New Year for Cambodians, however, is on April 13 or 14. It lasts for three days, and one of the traditional dishes is kralan, a cake made from rice and coconut which is cooked inside bamboo. But how about Laos? Southeast Asia in the 1970s was a place of unrest, political change and war, and the country of Laos was no exception. When the communists took over in 1975, around 10% of the population fled the country. Of those who settled in Australia, many made Sydney their home. Across Australia today, there are around 15,000 people of Laotian ancestry. 
The Lao New Year also starts on April 13 or 14 and is called Pi Ma. It involves water splashing as well, but is considerably more subdued than its Thai counterpart. In most places, it lasts for three days. But they take things to the extreme in Luang Prabang, where it goes for 10 days. Each day is significant. So the first day is actually the last day of the old year, and the third day is the first day of the new year. The middle day is kind of a nothing day. It's neither old nor new. Laos has a small but significant Chinese community, which makes up about 2% of the population. They celebrate the Spring Lunar Festival in line with the Chinese calendar, and Chinese-run businesses across Laos close for the new year. Let's move on to Nepal. Just like Thailand, Cambodia and Laos, Nepal also celebrates New Year in April. It's called Nawa Basha. Australia is home to over 70,000 people born in Nepal. By the way, that number has increased by more than nine times over the past decade, with most Nepalese arriving after 2008. They are one of the fastest growing immigrant populations, with many coming over as students. During Nawa Basha, Nepalese pay respect to the gods and spend time with family. But a celebration wouldn't be complete without festivals and parades. And as we've learned, it doesn't matter where you are or when you celebrate New Year. It's all about a fresh start, good food, valuable family time, and most importantly, fun and relaxation. In this episode, we focused on only 12 of Sydney's cultures, but obviously there are many, many more. Some celebrate the New Year on 1 January, some in March, others in April, June and December. Whatever date you celebrate New Year, it's usually a time of renewal. For some people, that means religious rites and relaxation or family time and feasts. For others, it's a huge harbourside party. The Sydney Lunar Festival is all about celebrating the wonderful constellation of our multicultural communities. So wherever you're from, we wish you a very happy Lunar New Year. Thanks for listening to this episode of New Stories, Bold Legends. My name's Valerie Koo. You can find out more about me at ValerieKoo.com. That's K-H-O-O. You can find out more about the topics in this podcast over at newstories.net.au. In the meantime, we hope to see you at the Sydney Lunar Festival. Through this podcast this season, you've been meeting a range of historical characters the forefathers and mothers of the Sydney Lunar Festival, which is a modern-day celebration of culture, heritage and diversity. It's through the contribution of these people from history who have created the unique culture we celebrate in Australia today. At the festival, you'll find iconic art installations in the form of huge lunar lanterns, each representing a different animal of the zodiac, lining circular key. You'll find performances, talks, events dragon boat races, and much more throughout the city of Sydney. More than 1.5 million people attend the festival, which has become one of the biggest events on the city's calendar and is the biggest celebration of Lunar New Year outside of mainland China. To find out more, go to sydneylunarfestival.com. See you at the festival.